Welcome to another Salvation by Grace Sunday morning message. Salvation by Grace is the teaching ministry of Grace Christian Assembly, a sovereign grace fellowship in Smyrna, Tennessee. You'll find us on the internet at salvationbygrace.org. We are currently studying the Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians. So grab your Bible and join the congregation of GCA along with our teaching pastor, Jim McClarty. This morning's scripture reading is John chapter 1. Stand for the reading. John chapter 1, we're going to read the first 17 verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overtaken it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives life to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning only through the grace of Jesus Christ. He is the access. We got up this morning and came here not for our own purposes, but so that we could know more about you, so that we could rightly understand you, so that we could give you the praise, the glory, and the honor for which you're due. So we pray that by your spirit this morning, you would guide us into that truth, you would guide us into that understanding so that uh, that would be what is accomplished today, that the saints would be edified and their God would be glorified and magnified. So still our hearts now, still our minds, strip away the foolishness, the cares that we all have. We ask that you would take those away, that we would focus and we would just wrap our minds and our hearts around the truth that we are privileged to have before us. Be with our teacher, give him the words to speak, and once again, may you be glorified through it all. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen.
brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and thus fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to another. For each one shall bear his own load. And let the one who is taught in the word share all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh shall from his flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall reap from the Spirit and reap eternal life. And let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, and especially to those of the household of the faith. See what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand, Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh." But may it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, and Upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear in my body the brand marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. That's the way the Galatian letter ends. This morning we're going to dig into it and Hopefully, we will actually finish the book of Galatians this morning. Tom is taking the over-unders on that. (laughs) Next week, we will begin another book of the Bible, which particular book is still up for debate. But I've narrowed it down to two. I think I know what I'm about to do, but I'm still getting suggestions. So let's start at verse 6. And let the one who is taught the word share all things with him who teaches. That's where we left off last week. 
and we looked at some of the Corinthian letter in order to establish Paul's theology, not only on giving, but on the necessity for those who preach the gospel to make their living from the gospel. Now, I know that saying that is a tad self-serving, since I am the person in this congregation who's doing the talking and then saying to you all that you should support me. But I didn't make that up. It's actually what the Bible says. And then last week I said to you that I hadn't quite finished the topic. So we're going to finish the topic this morning. But relax, it won't take that long because we are going to try to finish the book this morning. For anybody who doesn't want to hear more giving teaching, you know, there's coffee in the back and a parking lot you can stand in. And we'll have someone signal you when I'm done talking about that. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with him that teaches is a basic principle, but it's not to be extricated from the rest of what Paul is writing here in chapter 6, which is why I read the entire chapter. Everything about restoring somebody who's caught in a trespass and bearing one another's burdens and in that way fulfilling the law of Christ, all of that is part of how we as Christians walk by the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit includes supporting the gospel and the cause of the gospel. But far too often, that verse is sort of segregated from the whole rest of the passage. But I want to emphasize that what Paul is saying here is walking by the Spirit is an entire lifestyle. You can't just do one part of this and think that you are satisfying Paul's expectations of what it is to live by the Spirit. Living by the Spirit is recognizing that Jesus Christ has been crucified. He was crucified in the flesh, and therefore we are to reckon ourselves as dead in the flesh so that the passions and the desires and the sinful proclivities of our flesh do not overtake us and overwhelm us. To be a genuinely Christian person We do walk in the good works that God has prepared for us to walk in. And those good works include loving each other sacrificially, taking care of each other, lifting each other up. And then when someone is overtaken by sin, we don't attack them. We don't pounce on them. We don't use it as an opportunity to say, oh, well, I am so much better than you that I would never fall into that particular trespass. Instead, Paul's instruction is that we bear one another's burdens. And in that way of sacrificing for each other, loving each other, spiritually renewing each other, in that way we are actually walking by the Spirit rather than the contrast that's been all the way through this book which is walking by the Spirit versus walking by the law. And everybody is walking out their life in one of those two categories. You're either walking by the Spirit of God in Jesus Christ, or you're walking by the law. Even unbelievers are walking by their own sense of their own morality and their own decision-making, and then they're going to be judged by the law of God. You're either 
under the law of God or you're under the spirit of Christ. And that is all of humanity. You don't have a choice in the matter. You're either walking by your flesh and therefore your flesh is going to reap corruption or you're walking by the spirit and that walking by the spirit is going to reap eternal life. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this will he also reap. And then Paul describes what he means by this sowing and reaping. For the one who sows to his own flesh shall from his flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit shall from the spirit reap eternal life. And I think those two verses apply to everything that went before it, not just the giving verse. However, in 2 Corinthians 9, Paul really does use that sowing and reaping analogy within the context of proper giving. We read it last week. Paul says, but this I say, he which sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So in that verse, Paul did take the idea of sowing and reaping and apply it directly to giving. And so he is inspiring Purposeful giving. He is inspiring generous giving by saying that whatever you sow in this lifetime is what you're going to reap. Uh, If you plant apple seeds in your backyard, you don't expect to grow a tree that's going to produce bananas. That would be terribly odd. You don't expect that because what you sowed was apples. What you expect to reap is apples. That's the same thing Paul is talking about here. You're going to sow to your flesh, which means you're going to live your life according to your own fleshly desire. You're going to use your money in order to do the things that your flesh wants. Or you're going to use the gifts that God has given you in this lifetime for the benefit of the gospel, for the benefit of the church, for the benefit of each other. And so in that way, you're going to be sowing to the spirit And then you're going to reap, he says, eternal life. So here's what I've experienced in my life in the church. And I grew up in the church. Sure, I took some time off. You know, I needed some time off. And then I came back to the church. And I have been in the church for the last 30 plus years. And there is a way that you can kind of gauge how people are committed to the cause of Christ and how they're not. And as people grow in the knowledge of Christ, you see them become more generous. You see them become more caring because that inhabits their heart, their soul, their spirit. But one of the ways that we can always tell when somebody is getting ready to leave us, one way you can tell that somebody's getting ready to leave the church One of the first signs, tell me if I'm wrong, Tom, one of the first signs is they quit giving. And that's usually one foot out the door because they no longer have that sense of 
propriety where they need to take care of each other and take care of the church and advance the gospel. And they start thinking, no, that's mine. And I'm going to spend that money on me and on what I want and on my flesh. And Paul says very clearly that God's not deceived. He can see right through that. That word, by the way, that says God is not mocked, that word technically means to turn your nose up at. Can you imagine the haughtiness of turning your nose up at God? And so God is not foolish. God knows what you're doing with the things he has given you. And if you are spending all your time and money on yourself, then you're going to reap corruption. That's all you're going to get from it. However, if you invest your time, invest your life, invest your money, invest your giving, and I mean sacrificial giving, not just of money, but of yourself, of the things that you have, of the food that you have. If you see somebody who needs food, then you help them because you have food. You see somebody who could use some clothing and you have clothing. Well, you give that to them if that's the way you live your life, if that's what you've invested in. Paul says what you reap is eternal life. So the contrast is huge. You can either be all about you Or you can live the life that is walking by the Spirit, which is more concerned with others than with yourself. That we would count every man as better than ourselves. We wouldn't look on our own things, but we would look on the things of others. That we would care about other people. Now, last week, I also mentioned that after Paul had written to the Corinthians and had taught them this principle of giving and of support for those who preach the gospel, who should make their living by the gospel, I just, I ran out of time. And so I summarized a couple of concepts that are at the end of the book of Corinthians. And uh, then I got email this week asking where those passages could be found. So... In order to do some housekeeping, a little cleanup here. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I'm going to start reading at verse 5. This is Paul talking to the church at Corinth. He has invested a tremendous amount in this church. And yet, because there were so many critics within Corinth of Paul, Paul makes sure that he doesn't take any money directly from the saints there in Corinth, since others had exercised their power, their authority over the saints at Corinth in order to get money from them. Paul didn't want to be lumped in with them. And so he made sure that he did not charge the Corinthian church for his time that he spent with them. 2 Corinthians 11, chapter 5, For I consider myself in no way inferior to the most eminent apostles. But even if I am unskilled in word, yet I am not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way, we have made this evident to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I proclaim the gospel of God to you without charge. I robbed other churches 
by taking wages from them so that I could minister to you. And when I was present with you and I was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brothers came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need. And in everything I kept and will keep myself from being a burden to you. So Paul survived in Corinth by what he calls robbing other churches. And I think what he means by that is they supported me even though I wasn't there helping them. I had been there. I had taught them about Christ. And then they supported me in bringing the gospel to you. But then they continued supporting me when you were supposed to be supporting me. And so I robbed other churches. And the brothers came from Macedonia and apparently brought enough of an offering to Paul that he was able to say they fully supplied my need. In the very next chapter, 2 Corinthians 12, starting at verse 12, Paul says, I have become foolish. You yourselves compelled me. For I ought to have been commended by you. For in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even if I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were worked out among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. So here is Paul continuing to argue for his apostleship and demonstrating to them that no other church got anything that they didn't get. Paul gave them all the proper teaching. He gave them the sound doctrine, but he also did miracles among them. And there were signs and wonders and miracles. So verse 13, for in what respect were you treated as less than all the rest of the churches? So you got everything I have in Christ. I brought to you and you received it the same as the other churches. So I should have been commended by you. I should have been supported by you. You should have been sending me on my way to send this gospel out to other churches. You should have supported me the way other churches have. The churches that I was robbing in order to bring the gospel freely to you. Verse 13, for in what respect were you treated as less than the rest of the churches except? Here's the one exception between all the other churches and the church at Corinth. Except that I myself did not become a burden to you. Forgive me this wrong. It's one of the few places you're ever going to see Paul say he was wrong. And it was because he did not make himself a burden to the church at Corinth. Instead, he just kept saying, I'm not a burden to anybody. That's what we just read out of 2 Corinthians 11. When I was in need, I was not a burden to anybody. But the brothers from Macedonia came and took care of me. To be a healthy church, according to what we've just read, to be a fully functioning church is also to be a church that knows how to give, how to sacrifice, how to care for each other, how to promote the gospel, and how to fund the gospel so that it can keep going forward. A moment ago, I mentioned Paul's writing to the Philippians. 
the purpose of the Philippian letter, it's often called the joy letter, Paul wrote it because Epaphroditus brought a gift from the church at Philippi to Paul, though Paul was not there among them, they nevertheless made sure to bring yet and again to Paul's necessity because of what Paul had already brought them. Notice that nobody from Philippi, nobody from Galatia, nobody from any of the churches that were supporting Paul got away with saying, yeah, but what have you done for me lately? Sure, you taught us all that sound doctrine, and sure, we've learned it, but you know, that was a few years ago. And now you're not here, and now you're not helping us, and I've pretty much learned everything you have to teach us so I can stop supporting you now. Instead, what they understood was, Their whole lives had been changed, and in fact, their eternities had been secured by the things that Paul was teaching them. They came to faith in Jesus Christ through the preachment of the gospel. Therefore, their giving to Paul, their support of Paul, was continuous because of the effect that he had had in their lives. In Philippians 4, starting at verse 10, Paul writes... I'm sorry, I said that, and then I saw you all quickly flipping and punching into your iPads. I'll pause for a moment so you can catch up. And I'll get a drink. And I'll go out to the parking lot and call the people back in. Philippians 4, starting at verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last... You have revived thinking about me. Indeed, you were thinking about me before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Notice, by the way, that Paul said, I don't have any needs. I don't have any wants. I'm not looking for a gift from you because I have desires that I can't afford. He says, I've learned how to live in abundance. I've learned how to live with little things. Verse 12, I know how to get along with humble means. And I also know how to live in abundance. In any and all things, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. Both of having abundance and suffering need. And what is the solution? to being able to be content in all circumstances of life. That's verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Notwithstanding, you have done well in that you did koinoneo, that you did communicate with my affliction, that you did send me a gift, that you are providing for me. Now you Philippians know also That in the beginning of the gospel, when I first started going out and preaching, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity. Not because I desire a gift, 
but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Last week I said, God to be God has no needs. He's God. Not only are the cattle on a thousand hills his, the hills themselves are his. All the gold in the whole wide world and on all the other planets and every other mineral throughout the whole universe is his. When you bring him your dollar or two, you're you're not doing anything for him. And so Paul here says, same idea. It's not that I have a need. I am okay, but what I desire is the fruit that will abound to your account because you need to learn to give. You need to learn to sacrifice. Very, very frequently in the Bible, we see language about greed. Don't be greedy. That is our natural inclination to to store up for ourselves, to take care of number one. I'll take care of me. That's our natural inclination. Well, the best way to overcome that sense of greediness is to actually sacrifice, to actually give, to actually take care of someone else. And that's what the Philippian church was doing, was taking care of Paul so he could write, not because I desire the gift, But I desire the fruit that's going to abound to your account. In a moment, he's going to say that when you give, when you sacrifice, that is tantamount to sending a sweet savor, a sweet odor sacrifice into the nostrils of God. Sometimes we don't think of giving that way. Sometimes we don't think of our charity as being that God-pleasing But if I could tell you today, right now, how to please God, wouldn't you want to know that? Wouldn't you want to know how you could please God? I mean, there is a sacrifice in the Old Testament. You read about it in Exodus 29. It's called a sweet savor offering. You shall burn a whole ram on the altar. That means taking something valuable and just burning it for God's glory. Just just. Burning, destroying something of value. You'll burn the whole ram upon the altar. It is a burnt offering unto the Lord. It is a sweet savor, an offering made by fire unto the Lord. The picture is God in heaven smells the aroma of that fire, knowing that it was a sacrifice to him and him alone, and that you brought something valuable and gave it up in faith that God was able to provide for you and that he would care for you day by day through the rest of your life, so much so that you were willing to take something valuable and just give it away. And that sends a sweet odor into God's nostrils, and God is pleased with that smell. Well, writing to the Philippians, Paul took that very idea and said, when you give sacrificially, God smells that, and he's pleased with it. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that it may abound to your account. But I have all, and I abound, I I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable 
well-pleasing to God. You want to know how to please God? There you go. You've got your directive. It's right there. Not only did Paul give you the instruction that whoever is taught in the gospel ought to share materially with the one who taught him, but then Paul raises that bar to saying, and that activity pleases God, and he likens it to a sweet savor offering before God. And then he adds, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Okay, so what's the reason people don't give? Uh, usually some version of greed. Usually I need to take care of me. Usually, well, I have expenses. Usually, well, I would, but I can't afford it. Usually, hey, if I win the lottery, I'll give you some of that. But I can't afford to give anything to you now. I've got difficulty. Here Paul says that if you sacrificially give by the Spirit of God, that God will supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Okay, so how much does God own? Like the everything of everything. All the everythingness of everythingosity. He owns all the everything constantly. And if he's on your side and determined to take care of you, can he? Yes. Well, Paul just said that God will supply your need. Now, let's talk about what your need is. Do you need a fancy new television? No. Probably not. Do you want one? Well, sure. You know. I had a conversation once with James, who's sitting in the back there. We were walking through a mall, and uh, I forget what it was. It may have been a game. And, and it was $50. And James said, I need that game. I said, no, you don't need that game. You want that game. What you need is $50. <laughs> yeah. Big difference between want and need. God will supply for all your needs. Consistently throughout the Bible, what does he categorize as your needs? Food and raiment. Something to eat, something to wear. He doesn't even promise you shelter, but he gives it to you. You have way too much shelter, most of us. We've got so much house, we don't know what to do with it. we got so much food, we don't know what. We have refrigerators full of food and closets full of clothes. But God said he would provide for your need. Has anybody here yet gone through a period in your life where you were naked and hungry and on the streets? Anybody? God did his job. He did exactly what he promised you he was going to do. He took care of your needs. Unfortunately, we have a tendency to expand on what we think we need. We think we need all kinds of things that we don't actually need, things we could get by without. And yet God even gives us those. Anybody here got a fancy TV? Well, God's just being really nice to you then. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So is it worth pointing out that the only people who can lay claim to that promise of provision and supply 
are the same people who give generously into the work of God. Is that too obvious? Contextually, he just said that you do well, you sacrifice to God, you send that sweet odor up into his nostrils, and then God will supply for all your needs. He will provide for you. So only those who support the advance of the gospel of Christ as an act of sacrifice for God's glory can expect that God will also provide for all their needs. Now, by the way, this was not just Pauline theology. This is something Jesus himself taught. Matthew 10, for those of you who would go, who would like to go look it up, in Matthew 10, starting at verse 5, this is when Jesus is sending his disciples out. And he says to the twelve, Jesus sent them out after instructing them, saying, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles, do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. Okay, so if somebody walked in the room right now who went around not only healing the sick, but raised the dead, if when they got done with that, cleansing lepers, casting out demons, if somebody walked through the door of GCA right now and did that for us, and we all left here healthy and happy, if that guy then said, you know, I, I could use a shirt. Is anybody going to deny him? Nope. No, we're all going to say, yeah, we got lots of shirts. We'll, we'll give you shirts. Here you go. Well, that's what Jesus then says. After telling them, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leopards, cast, cleanse the leopards, mine, <laughs> cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, freely you've received, freely give. He then says, do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts. You're getting ready to take a trip, but don't take any money with you. And don't take a bag. That's a beggar's bag. Don't take a beggar's bag on your journey. Don't even take two tunics, two outer coats, or two sandals. Don't even take a staff. Why? For the worker is worthy of his support. So he's saying, when you go into these cities where I'm sending you, and when you preach the gospel and tell them the kingdom of God is at hand, and when you prove it through these miracles that you do, you should expect them to support you. So don't take anything with you. Take the clothes on your back. Don't take a second walking stick. Don't take a beggar's bag. Don't take two coats. Don't take an extra pair of sandals. Just go with what you've got because they will take care of you as you give them what I have freely given you. So even Jesus expected that level of support for his people. So have I convinced you yet that this is a firmly biblical concept? Yes. Okay. Well, then we can move on. Back in Galatians chapter 6. 
Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not one you can turn your nose up at. For whatever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. Okay, so let's say that you've been doing some giving. Let's say that you've been supporting your church. I'm not just speaking to GCA. I'm talking to all the people on the Internet. Let's say that you've been doing some giving, and it's just not easy. My first answer would be, well, yeah, sacrifice is not easy. And that's what you're called to is sacrifice. Throughout the Old Testament, they sacrificed. Just because you're now under Christ in the New Covenant doesn't mean that you should not sacrifice. You're going to sacrifice your life. You're going to sacrifice your desire, sacrifice your flesh. You're going to crucify your flesh. And the things that God gives you, you're going to willingly give up some portion of it. Paul has already told us how much whatever a man determines in his heart, so let him give. Because God loves hilarious, cheerful giving. And so let's say you're giving regularly, sacrificially, and you're expecting to get something back, and it's not coming back at the speed that you think it ought to come back to you. That's why Paul says, verse 9, and let us not lose heart in doing good. Doing good is tough. This is an evil world. It's a sin-soaked world. And if you want to just get along by going along with the world, then it's going to go easy for you. But doing good, being sacrificial, looking after other people, it's difficult. And let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. So even if it looks like your sacrifice is not being immediately repaid to you, Paul says keep doing the good anyway because God is faithful. God will repay you. Let's say you're really old. I put up my hand so that nobody else had to. Thank you. Yeah. I was saving you. Uh, Let's say that I have sacrificed through my whole life, that my life hasn't been easy. But let's say that I've put in the effort to try to do good in my life. And then I die. And then I open my eyes and I see Jesus. And he says, come on in. Well done, good and faithful servant. Did I get paid back? Oh, yes. (laughs) Yeah. All of eternity with him? See, far too often people think of God's eternal spiritual realm as being narrowed down, funneled down to just your happiness right here and now. You're not always going to get your happiness right here and now, but you are guaranteed eternal life. Now, am I saying that you should sacrifice 
through your whole life here on the planet and that it's always going to go bad for you and that he's never going to take care of you or bless you here on the planet, that heaven is enough? Well, number one, yes, heaven is enough. But I just got done telling you, you've got TVs. You've got computers. Most of you have got phones in your pockets. $1,000 computers that you walk around with in your pocket. I was commenting just the other day when I was getting some bad cell reception. I caught myself and thought, oh, yeah, I'm I'm bouncing my voice off a geosynchronous satellite that's coming back down to cell towers and reaching the other telephone instantaneously, and I'm whining. (laughs) We've got so much. We are so blessed. We are so well taken care of that of course God could expect us to give back. And you have been blessed in so many ways. If you wake up and know your own name tomorrow, if you wake up tomorrow and have something to eat, if you wake up tomorrow and you're not left on the street penniless, God is continuing to bless you, take care of you, and he's doing his job. And so we have to remember that when Paul promises us that we are going to reap if we don't faint, if we keep doing good. It's so easy to overlook all the good that we actually are receiving, all the good that God is actually giving us. We've gotten so accustomed to that, we've gotten so used to that, that we don't think of that as part of God's continual good to us, so that we're likely to complain. That was the point of the story. That we don't recognize how remarkably blessed we are. And then something doesn't go right. Oh, the air conditioning's out in my truck. Why is life so bad for me? Hey, you got a truck. Life's okay for you. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, knowing that, having that mindset, recognizing God's blessings and God's eternal blessings, so then every time we have an opportunity, let us do good to all men. Let us do good to everybody who has a need, anybody that we can help. Let's take that opportunity, even if we're not getting anything back from it, and even if nobody says anything about it, if nobody recognizes it. God knows it. Keep sending that sweet savor. Keep doing good when you have opportunity to do good. But then Paul says, and especially, especially do good to the household of the faith. Who's the household of the faith? Look around. Whoever you see in this room, that's your household of faith. These are the saints of God. These are the other people who are inhabited by the same Holy Spirit that you're inhabited with. Do good to all people whenever you have the opportunity, but especially do good to those who share that like precious faith, who have that same Spirit of God. You know, those same people you're going to spend eternity with, you don't want to end up in heaven a thousand years from now and have them still holding a grudge. Uh, You know what I mean. (laughs) Then Paul says something really interesting. He says, see what large letters I am writing to you. Uh, Let's do this real quick. Steve, look up 1 Corinthians 16.21. Tom, look up Colossians 4.18. Micah, look up 2 Thessalonians 3.17. 
So that's 1 Corinthians 16.21, Colossians 4.18, 2 Thessalonians 3.17. We're going to read those real quick. And the reason for it is these are examples of Paul pointing out that he has actually written with his own hand some portion of his letter. Because usually what Paul would do is he used what are called emanuensis. These are people who are secretaries, people who would do the actual physical writing. Paul would dictate his letters, and they would write it. Now, there's been a lot of debate and speculation about why he did that. Apparently, it's because of his failing eyesight. He's also taken multiple beatings at this point, and he's also mentioned how sick he often is. And so his letters were usually written for him, but then he, in order to validate the letter, would sign it with his own hand, or he'd write some sentence, some greeting with his own hand. And in all three of these verses to three different churches, Paul is going to say exactly that, because that's what he's also doing here in the Galatian letter. For instance, Steve, 1 Corinthians 16.21 says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Not only did he write it, but then he pointed out that it was him in order to validate that this letter was not a forgery. It was something that Paul himself had actually meant to send to that church. Colossians 4.18, Tom. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. So even as he's in prison, he makes sure that the letter that is going to the Colossians also includes his insignia. 2 Thessalonians 3.17 says essentially the same thing. Micah? I, Paul, write this reading with my own hand, and this is a distinguishing mark in every letter. This is the way I write the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. This is a distinguishing mark in all my letters. So he makes sure that he always signs the letter or writes the greeting in his own hand to designate that it really is from him. Not only do I think that that's in order to prove that these letters are not forgeries, but it is also because I think he was having so many physical difficulties. So much so, part of the reason I believe that he had eyesight problems is that he points out, see what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. So he signed this letter too, scrawled it in his own hand, but had to write it large enough that he could see it. But that validates that the letter actually is from the Apostle Paul. Now he goes back to the main theme of this entire letter. The main theme is all about the Judaizers who had come from Jerusalem in order to encourage the Gentile believers in Galatia to keep the law and to be circumcised. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised, simply that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So he's saying they have an ulterior motive. And they want to make a showing of you. Now, remember a moment ago, Paul talked about boasting and that 
We have no reason for boasting in regard to someone else. We ought to only make our boast in ourselves and in Christ. We've got enough to do taking care of ourselves. And now he is saying that those Judaizers want to boast in you. They want to be able to say that they had the influence over you, that they saved you, that even though you had the spirit of God and even though you were already redeemed in Christ, you weren't yet saved, and they came along and told you how to finally get saved, just be circumcised and keep some portion of the law. And so Paul says, they're just putting on a show. They're just trying to make a good showing of you in their flesh. (coughs) They try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they would not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Paul was constantly persecuted by the Jews for the cross of Christ because he went around preaching our freedom in Christ, in the finished work of Christ, in the cross of Christ. Paul was then persecuted. And they were among the people persecuting him. And they didn't want the persecution that Paul took. And so they would come among the Gentiles and say, you need to be more Jewish. You need to be circumcised. You need to keep the law. And Paul says the motivation for them to do that is that they don't want to be persecuted the way I'm being persecuted. And so they try to avoid the offense of the cross by acting in a way that the Jews in Jerusalem would not persecute them for. Verse 13, for those who are circumcised, those Jews that have come down from Jerusalem, they do not keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they can boast in your flesh. They don't keep the law. They're not accomplishing their own justification by the works of their flesh, but they really want to make you do it just so that they'll have bragging rights over you so that they can say, well, I have a convert. I have a follower now. I have someone doing what I say they should do. And instead, they should have been preaching the full sufficiency of Christ because the very thing that they are proclaiming to the Gentiles as their means of justification hasn't worked as a means of justification for themselves. So what hypocrisy. Verse 14, but may it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I've been crucified to the world. We talked a little bit about that verse a couple of weeks ago. What you should take away from it is, Paul says, boasting in the flesh is an empty boast. Bragging about your own ability to influence other people so that you look like you're really something. If anyone thinks he's something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. And so he is decrying this idea that the Jews who aren't actually even keeping the law They are trying to get the Gentiles to follow after them. They are trying to bring apostles to themselves, followers, disciples to themselves, so that they can brag about it, so that they can boast about it. And Paul says, the only thing I'm going to boast in is the finished work of Jesus Christ, because that's all you need to be fully, sufficiently saved eternally. That's what Paul would boast about. 
May it never be that I should boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me. And I've been crucified to the world. I don't live by the world. I don't walk after the world. I don't act like the world. For neither is, here's his summary statement. This is what the whole letter has been about. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision. When it comes to justification, when it comes to eternal salvation, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're circumcised or uncircumcised. There's only one thing that matters, according to Paul, and that's new creation. Are you born again? Are you regenerated? Has God put the Holy Spirit inside you? producing faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Paul says, that's all that matters. Doesn't matter if your flesh is circumcised or uncircumcised. Doesn't matter if you're male or female. Doesn't matter if you're slave or bond. Doesn't matter. What matters is, do you have faith in Jesus Christ because you have been born anew through the Holy Spirit, through the regenerating work of God through Jesus Christ. That's all that matters when it comes to your eternal justification. Okay, so he has laid down a principle here. All that matters is new creation. All that matters is being born again. And those who will walk by that rule, that circumcision is nothing, uncircumcision is nothing, Only a new creation matters. And all those who walk by that rule, peace and mercy upon them. Yeah, because you're going to get persecuted in this lifetime the same way that Paul was. It's going to be difficult for you in this lifetime if you're willing to say that you're a Christian person who is resting utterly and completely in the finished work of Christ. That is going to make you different than the world. And so the world is going to hate you and the world is going to persecute you for that. But you continue to do good. You continue to persevere in the Christian faith and walking by the Spirit. And all of those who walk by the rule that only the new creation, only the new birth, only the regeneration matters when it comes to eternal justification. If you're willing to walk that way, then peace and mercy on you. The next word is chi in the Greek. It is the word and. Rather inexplicably, The NIV, is anybody reading an NIV in the room right now? Inexplicably, the NIV translates at even. Weirdly, at the beginning of the verse, that word chi also exists, and they translate it and. Seems a tad inconsistent to say, well, here it means and, but here it means even. And what they have done by using the word even is that they have equated those who walk by this rule, they've equated that with Paul's phrase, the Israel of God. This is the only place in the New Testament you're going to find Paul make reference directly to the Israel of God. But the very fact that he says and demonstrates that he's talking about two different groups of people, this and that. 
So peace and mercy upon those who walk by the rule of the new creation as being fully sufficient for our justification and salvation. Peace and mercy on them, but then Paul also says, and peace and mercy upon the Israel of God. Now, if you're somebody who believes that Israel is the church, you have to come to grips with the fact that there are 65 other occurrences of the term Israel in the New Testament. And in every single one of those references, it's always referring to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Always, every time. You can't find any place in the New Testament of those 65 occurrences where the word Israel means anything other than what we think of Israel. National Israel. Genetic Israel. So it would be incredibly strange if at this one moment, this one time, Paul used the word Israel and meant the church. Because what happens is people conflate those phrases and say, well, all those who walk by that rule that Christ is the full sufficient justification, all those who walk by that rule are the church. Even the Israel of God and those people who want to find some place in the New Testament that they claim says that Israel and the church are now equatable to each other. They'll go directly to that verse and they'll say, see right there, Paul called the church the Israel of God. But he didn't. He said, peace be upon those who walk by the rule and peace and mercy be on the Israel of God. Now, if Paul meant something other than Israel when he said Israel, it seems to me, stop me when this is too obvious, it seems to me that it would have been incumbent on Paul or at least somebody in the New Testament to tell us that the word Israel has changed its meaning. But it hasn't. And in fact, if you look at the scope of this entire letter, if you look at the theme of this whole letter, Paul has been talking about those remnants of the Jews, those remnants of Israel who have been converted, who are following after Christ. And then he also talks about those Jews, like the Judaizers who came from Jerusalem, who he argues are not saved, who are not following after Christ. And so he is dividing among Israel, unsaved Israel, and the remnant of Israel. And that's who I believe he is referring to as the Israel of God. Those of Israel like himself who have been saved by God. And so Paul says, peace and mercy be upon all those who walk according to the rule that circumcision is nothing, uncircumcision is nothing, and obviously they collectively are the church. But then Paul includes, because he is a Jew, because he is an Israelite, he's the same one who said in Romans that he could wish himself accursed if that would save his brethren Israel. Okay, well, knowing that mindset... Of course, Paul would make reference to, I want peace and mercy on the church, but I also want peace and mercy on the Israel that belongs to God because God is saving his remnant within Israel and he has made all these promises to Israel. He has made all these covenants with Israel 
And he is going to establish Israel. He's going to replant Israel. He's going to regather Israel. He's going to give them the new Jerusalem. And who are they? Well, they would be the Israel of God. Pretty obvious, huh? So for those people who want to use that verse to try to conflate the idea of the church and Israel, I don't think that's a fair use of the scripture. So from now on, verse 17, from now on, he's closing up his letter. From now on, let no one cause any trouble for me because I bear in my body the stigma. I bear in my body the brand marks of Christ. Do you think after taking the several beatings he had taken, do you think maybe he had some scars? His back had to be just riddled with scars. And he called those the marks of Jesus Christ because he was so persecuted for preaching the cross of Christ and the full sufficiency of Christ because that was the cause for those beatings. He could look at those marks on his body. He could look at how emaciated his body had become. He could even look at the eye troubles that he's probably having. He's looking at all his health difficulties. He's looking at what he's become in his flesh, and he says, that is the mark of the Lord Jesus Christ in my body. He woke up every day realizing, recognizing that Jesus was his Lord because he had all the marks in his body that proved it. That's a level of sacrifice I don't think any of us can even imagine. And rather than be bitter about it, rather than be angry, knowing the persecution and knowing the beatings he took, and knowing the imprisonments, knowing the hunger, knowing the thirst, knowing the almost drowning, knowing all that about what it is to be a Christian. Here's Paul writing yet again, hey, come join us. That's a tough one. Come join us. Come, come be part of the Christian church. And oh, yeah, it's going to go hard on you. You're going to be persecuted. It's going to be difficult. I argue time and time again that knowing what the apostles actually had to go through, becoming one of them, joining the church in the first century, that had to be a tough sell. Why would anybody go join that? Because the only reason you should become a Christian is because you can't help it. The only reason you should be a Christian is because the Holy Spirit of God has taken up residence in you and God has drawn you to himself and he is irresistible in his grace and in his power and authority in your life and then you're willing to take the beatings. Then you're willing to take the persecution and you can look back on it and say, this is just Christ working through me and in me and marking my body as his. Notice, last thing, Notice that this whole letter was about a mark in the flesh, circumcision. Paul said, I have a mark in my flesh. I have a bunch of marks in my flesh. The marks of my persecution for Christ. The stigmata of Jesus is in my flesh. And then he finishes with, And the grace, he starts with grace, 
he ends with grace. Because it's all about grace. It's grace, 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 grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. So that is our second look at the book of Galatians. I hope it is an encouragement to you. I hope that you recognize in Paul's writing and in Paul's life the astounding freedom that we have. Free from the law, oh happy condition. But just because we're free from the law doesn't mean that we're lawless. We are under the law of Christ and we live according to our profession and the way we do that is through sacrifice, through kindness, through giving, through taking care of each other. We demonstrate Christ's love through us and in so doing, we fulfill the law. Got it? Well, then I'm... What's that word? Done. Thank you for listening to this week's Salvation by Grace Sunday morning message. We encourage you to visit our website at salvationbygrace.org for books, Q&As, and our ever-expanding archive of audio sermons. And we invite you to join us next time when we gather around the Word and study the sovereign grace of God.